Uh, I want to start by, I guess, to think back to late last year. Uh, think back to a sermon that our Minister for Mission, Braden, gave, where he spoke in fairly glowing terms about the brand Patagonia. Now, if you don't exactly remember how we used it there, uh, he, he likened the wife of noble character from Proverbs 31 to a, a contemporary mum who took exemplary care of her children by preparing them to face a snowstorm by clothing them in Gore-Tec Patagonia. So that's a, a fairly favourable reference to that brand. I want to talk about this brand for just a moment. It's a business that smell, uh, sells outdoor and adventure gear. And actually, it was that reference in that sermon by Braden that took me by surprise, because when I think of brands in that space, um, I've got some favourites. I think of the North Face, I think of MacPack, uh, I think of uh, Kathmandu. But actually, not so much Patagonia. I wasn't unaware of them. I knew the brand. I knew that certain people love them, and that's fantastic. It just never grabbed me. So I did a bit of research, and I was very surprised to find out that actually, last year, of all major brands... Patagonia was ranked as number one for reputation. Isn't that interesting? Uh, head of Apple, Amazon, they beat everyone. Uh, so Braden, bang on trend there. But why I mention that is because that ranking really intrigued me. So I did a little bit more research on them. And it turns out this is a really unusual brand. Unusual in how they think about doing business. So I want you to have a listen to what their founder said during an interview with McKinsey and Co. He said this, we have to be cautious about growing too big. A company doesn't last 100 years by chasing endless growth. There's an ideal size for every business and when companies outgrow that, they die. We know we have to be intentional in our growth to be around for another 50 years so we're focused on longevity, not expansion. Now, let me suggest that those are very unusual words because today for a company to be successful, we, we talk about growth. We talk about getting bigger and bigger and bigger as quickly as possible. That, that is really just the story of capitalism. So it's interesting here that Patagonia doesn't buy into that, that they don't think that that strategy is particularly great for long-term success. And actually, that brings us to our passage this morning, to a question that is increasingly popping up more and more these days, and, and that is this question of what it is, as churches, are we on about? Uh, do we embrace our world's underlying growth narrative, which is to ask, should our number one goal, so the goal above all else, should that be explosive growth in numbers. And when people talk about growth in numbers, what they actually mean is people coming along on a Sunday. Should that be our number one goal? Now, of course, if it is, it will shape all that we do, all our ministries, everything will be shaped around that goal. And, and so, should the number of people coming along here on a Sunday, should that be our number one goal? Well, we are starting to hear more and more concern being expressed by scholars and actually lay people alike, who are actually saying that actually if churches do unreflectively adopt that 
growth narrative that we're just taking in from our world around us, we'll be making a terrible mistake. Well, let's have a look at Acts. And today, as George has already mentioned, this is not just the end of this four-week mini-series in Acts, and the end of Acts there, but, but actually this is the end of our look at the book of Acts as a whole. We, we started it years ago, we've sort of been coming back and coming out of it, dipping in, dipping out. But actually, because it is the end, I think that means that we do have an opportunity to think more broadly about the, the shape of growth in the book of Acts. And actually think about what that shape might mean for this contemporary discussion and indeed what we do here at Christchurch when we're thinking about growth. Now, I should be clear on this, everyone thinks growth is important. Uh, we at Christchurch certainly do. Our, our mission statement, part of it talks about growing fruitful disciples of Christ in ever-increasing number. So we love growth, we desire growth, growth is excellent. And actually, the book of Acts certainly supports that. It's very big on growth. Let me just remind you of how this book started. From chapter 1, verse 1, Luke wrote, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so what is the book of Acts about? Well, it's, it's about growth. It picks up from where Luke left off in the Gospel of Luke, and now it's going to go on to record for us what it was that the Lord Jesus continued to do and to teach as He grew His church by sending out His apostles, as He continued to direct His mission from heaven. That's what we're told in chapter 1, verse 8. The risen Lord Jesus told His apostles to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, of the earth. And so the, the book of Acts, right at the very beginning, is very clear, this is a book about growth, about how starting from Jerusalem that the gospel would spread to the known world, crossing barrier after barrier, ethnic, geographic, cultural. This is a book about growth and it's very clear that growth is good. But we do need to ask, what is the shape of that growth? In more detail, should church growth be easy then? And how do we do it? What are the means? And actually, should it be our number one focus? And actually, let me suggest that this is a great time of year for us to be thinking about this. Because although 2024 has well and truly begun, hasn't it? It's, it's already, it's very close to February. I also suspect that it's only now that actually things are sort of starting to get back to normal. As the school term begins, um, Many of us, I'm sure, have got the stationery list out. We're doing the office works things. Uh, uniforms are being tried on. Lunch boxes are being retrieved from, from bags and, and all that goes with that at this time of year. Uh, of course, growth groups, they may have started, they may be starting next week. Our patterns for the, the rest of this year, they're really starting to take shape right now. So it's an excellent time for us as a church to think about the place of growth here at Christchurch. And so look, turn with me to, to chapter 27. Uh, that's the account that we heard of Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome. And it was a long reading, but I really did want Cheryl to read the whole chapter there, which he did wonderfully, because it's such an unusual account 
of what was a very difficult journey. I say unusual because it is so long. And actually, the sheer number of details is just unprecedented in this book. We heard it in the reading, but in addition to being told about 24 separate cities or regions, we're also told about exact time frames. We're told about specific wind patterns. We're told about details about the boats, such as the, the lifeboat, the tackle, the, the number of anchors, the stern, the bow, the ropes that tied the rudders, the foresail, even the figures, figureheads on the front of the boat. The sheer amount of detail here is just unprecedented in the book of Acts. And it's intriguing as we note that because Paul was no stranger to sea travel. After nearly three decades proclaiming Jesus, it's estimated that he would have covered something like 5,000 kilometres. And we know he'd certainly had other very difficult times at sea. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Paul tells us that he'd been shipwrecked three times. That he'd previously been adrift at sea throughout the night. And, and so, why now are we given so much detail, especially when at other times in Acts, mishaps at sea just seem to get skipped over? Now, when I say that, I'm thinking of Acts chapter 20, verse 6. There we're told that Paul travelled from Philippi to Troas and that the, took, the, the trip there, it took five days. That was a really long time for that trip. Something, presumably, had gone wrong there. But we're not told what went wrong. We just get the summary statement. We sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. It raises the question, why didn't we just get a summary statement here? Why wasn't this whole section running from chapter 27, verse 1, through to chapter 28, verse 14, why wasn't that captured by the, the one verse to say something like, you know, we, we set sail and after many days and some significant difficulties, we came to Rome? Why so many details? I think there are a couple of reasons. And the first is to show once again that, that church growth is not necessarily easy. I think that's tremendously important for us to remember because we can be tempted to believe that because we are doing God's will, then things will be easy, that God will actually just take care of the details, tempted to think that actually things will just work out. Well, it doesn't always work like that, does it? And Paul's experience here is just a classic example. Because Paul was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. So the Lord Jesus himself had told Paul back in chapter 23, verse 11, to take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And so by travelling to Rome, Paul was doing exactly what God had wanted him to do. And yet, Paul endures suffering. He endures hardship. And so just because you're doing God's will doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And actually, I think it's worth pausing at this point to reflect on what this might mean for the way that we think about serving here at Christchurch. Because occasionally, I speak to people who are actually not sure about how they can serve here at church. Not sure about what part they can play to help us grow. And one reason for this is because they've, they've tried a few options. 
And they all seemed kind of hard, and so they, they reasoned that actually it mustn't be for them. Um, you can see the logic there, right? You, you figure that if, if God wanted them to serve in that way, He'd have made it easy. Well, that's not how God works in this world. Um, that's not how God chooses to grow His church. Imagine if it was, though. Well, actually, if that was the case, we wouldn't have had a band this morning. Learning instruments, doing what Micah, Paul and Dave this morning, doing what they do, that, that is not easy. That, that's not hours, that's not days, that's weeks, weeks, weeks of hard work. That's the way that God grew His church, if it was just about God's people doing what they found easy. So much wouldn't happen. Pitch missions wouldn't happen. Uh, certainly, Michelle and I have done a bunch of those. They are hard work. CMS Summer School. Kevin painted a, a pretty rosy picture of it this morning, didn't he? And it's excellent serving in that kid's space there. It's excellent you're coming along as an adult too to the conference, but it's excellent serving in the kid's space there. But it is hard work. There'd be no cross-cultural mission if we expected things to just to be easy. And so how do churches grow? Well, it's by the Lord Jesus working through His people to do what needs to be done. And actually, we have so many brilliant examples of that right here at Christ Church, don't we? Um, I think we see a fair bit of this in the tech space. There are some who serve on tech here who, by their own admission, they actually don't find that the most natural space for them to serve in. But what happened? Well, we had a need, and they said, well, I'm, I'm willing, I'm keen, I'll, I'll give it a go. And they found it difficult, and actually very difficult on a morning like this morning when you've got a critical piece of hardware that's actually malfunctioning. So well done to the guys who are managing that at the moment. But they kept going, and they got it done, and they keep getting it done. And actually, now they don't find it that hard anymore. It's now just what they do. It's a great example, I think, because serving God, serving His people, church growth, no one ever said it was going to be easy, and Acts is super clear about that, isn't it? Again, reflect on what we heard as Cheryl read for us. It wasn't easy. So that's the first reason why I think we have this extended account of Paul's hardships at sea. But there's a second reason, and that's because in the midst of what would have been a very frightening experience, what stands out super clearly is Paul's faithfulness. Which is so that as we read the account of the storm and the shipwreck between Fair Havens to Malta, so Acts 27, 9 to 44... The key moments in that narrative are actually when Paul speaks. That's how the narrative is structured. Because as readers, we we actually should be wondering at this point, well, hang on, what is Paul going to do? Is he going to continue to trust God or will he give in to fear? It's actually why we don't actually hear Paul say that much. He only speaks four times, but 
when he does speak, that the tension rises. Will he continue to trust? Let's take a look at what I mean here. So, verses 9 and 10. Paul said, much time has been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So, what did Paul say? Well, Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Now, although we're not explicitly told here, presumably Paul had been given some divine insight about what lay ahead and so, of course, he conveys that warning to his fellow travellers. It is, however, a warning that goes unheeded and so they set sail, the storm hits, at which point they're in all sorts of trouble. Again, we hear Paul speak, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So what are we seeing here? In the midst of extreme danger, we see this firm trust in the Word of God. Paul doesn't waver, he doesn't look around at the situation he's in, he doesn't think, well, that's it, I'm done. Paul knows that following Jesus, it will not always be easy. He knows that when we turn to the Lord Jesus, we don't just trust that God will save us on the last day, we actually trust Him with every moment of our lives, because we know that He's in control. That's what Paul knew, and it's the same for us today. Even now, the risen Lord Jesus continues to direct His mission in this world through His people. And it is all going according to plan. And what that means is that even though at times, from a human's perspective, things can look a bit rough, it's never catastrophic, it's never out of control, it is all going according to plan. And our number one challenge was to be faithful. Faithful to the Word of God. So how do we do that? How do we be faithful when it comes to church growth? Well, God has told us how He grows His church. It's through the Word and prayer in community. That's what I think we see in Acts. Again, think back to another critical moment. Think back to Acts chapter 4. There, Peter and John had been proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And because of that, they were brought before the Sanhedrin and we're told something of the council's deliberations there. They, they reasoned that to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them, that is, Peter and John, to speak no longer to anyone in this name, that is, the name of Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Well, what did Peter and John do? Well, in a difficult circumstance, in a trying situation, what did they do? Well, they didn't sit back and think about what's, what's some other way that we might grow the church here? What other means can we pursue? No, no, they simply said, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you 
or to Him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Which is to say that God has told us how He will grow His church. It's through the Word and prayer in community. And so when things are tough, when things don't seem to be going so well, we we can't start thinking that we are now wiser than God. Start thinking, well, there must be some other way that we can grow the church. Because there isn't. Authentic growth always, only and ever comes through word and prayer in community. And that brings us to a key problem with the the modern church growth movement. Because if you think that the number one thing that we're on about as a church is growth, growth in terms of the number of people who come on a Sunday, and if as a church that you're not growing, then according to the growth narrative playbook, well, what do we do? Well, you need to get creative and innovate. You've got to try doing different things. Do whatever you can to get that growth that you're not seeing. Which is really very much a wholesale transfer from the business world into the church setting. Now, let's be clear about this. Innovation and creativity, they're not necessarily problematic, are they? It may be that actually there are obvious problems that are impacting growth. Obvious reasons why a church might not be growing, why something might be getting in the way of the word and prayer in community. And when that is the case, it makes sense to get a bit creative, to try and solve that problem. And certainly we do that all the time here at Christchurch. Um, for example, it wasn't that long ago that this building here was said to be full at 250 seats. Well, we, we had a bit of a think about it, we got creative, made some changes, and today's configuration, I think probably the configuration I had yesterday for the wedding, big wedding here, we fit 330 now. And I love that. Because I like to think of this church as a lifeboat. Go with me for a moment, right? I think it's not a bad illustration in light of the passage today. If you're at sea and your, your boat sinks, you want to get to a lifeboat. And of course, once you're in that lifeboat, you actually now start looking around to try and save more and more people, start pulling more and more people aboard. Well, friends, the world is adrift at sea. People need Jesus, and this church is a life raft. And we want to pull more and more people in, so that more and more people can hear about Jesus. And so what do we do? We make space, don't we? We move over, we don't leave a seat, we do whatever we can to fit more and more people in, because people need Jesus. So getting creative and solving problems that that are getting in the way of the God-given means of growth, that is a great thing. No one's denying that. The real issue comes when in response to a perceived lack of growth through the God-given means of growth, word and prayer and community, we, we get creative, we innovate and we start exploring how to grow the church through other means. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, according to most people, evangelism right now in Sydney is hard. Um, Even the experts are saying that if the number of converts at your church in a year is about 5% of your attendance, then actually you are doing really, really well. So a church of 100, 
to get to convert five people in a year. That would be pretty amazing, actually. That's what the statistics are telling us. And so evangelism is hard. Now, when that's the case, when growth through conversion is hard to come by, the temptation then is to pursue growth through other means. And actually, the most common, perhaps the easiest, what we're seeing a lot of today is pursuing that growth through transfer growth. So when a Christian moves into the area, and the last statistic I saw in this, uh, people in Sydney move house every seven years on average. So when a Christian moves into the area and they start looking for a church, if you can get a decent percentage of that, that group of people to come to your church, well then potentially you'll be, you'll be getting explosive growth, actually. The number of people coming on a Sunday will, will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so those statistics will look fantastic which is to say that transfer growth right now is a very attractive form of growth for churches to pursue. Much easier at this point in time than conversion growth. And of course, if you want to pursue that avenue, it's it's not hard to work out what to do to get great transfer growth. Not hard to identify the key levers that you need to pull to make that work for you. Um, What do you need? Well, you need a great website, awesome live stream showcasing your awesome church meetings Um, because by and large going to the days where people moving to an area will start turning up on a Sunday to explore a church you know during the week they jump online they check out they check out the live stream see what it's like they choose the one that they they're going to investigate first and if it works well they'll stick with and so of course you need a a brilliant experience when you arrive on a Sunday an amazing welcoming and integration team and what I've just described actually is where our, our modern church growth movement is sort of directing us They're telling us these are the areas that you need to work on if you want to grow. Which is to say that they're telling us to give up on evangelism and to focus on transfer growth. Well, friends, that can't be us. It's not us. Growth in terms of the number of people coming here on a Sunday morning, that is not number one for us. According to our mission statement, our number one goal is to glorify God. And we're committed to not just growing the number of people here on a Sunday, but we're committed to growing fruitful disciples who do more than just turn up, who glorify God in their whole lives. Faithful people who are committed to the God-given means of growth, committed to word and prayer in community, committed to making progress in their own spiritual lives, in their obedience and dependence on God and committed to reaching the lost. Even when that, that, that growth in numbers is sporadic. But you know, isn't that, isn't that what we see in Acts 2? After Paul finally arrives in Rome, what, what we see there is really what we see in the rest of Acts. We're seeing sporadic growth. Let's pick it up from verse 23b. He, that is Paul, witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. So, pause here for a moment and reflect on that. Here we have an apostle who takes all day. So, this is morning through evening. All day explaining how it is that Jesus makes sense of the law and the prophets, which is to say, Paul here is showing how the whole Bible points to Jesus. 
But what happened? Well, some were convinced, but others weren't. So isn't that interesting? Even the Apostle Paul couldn't convince all of them. Conversion growth, it doesn't fit the modern church growth narrative. There are no levers that you can pull to guarantee that a certain number of people will commit to following Jesus. But what we do have are the God-given means of growth. We've got word and prayer in community. But even then, there's just no guarantee that it will work. And actually, that's why Paul then quotes from Isaiah, which he applies to his listeners. Let's hear this again. Cheryl read it from Isaiah earlier, but let's hear it from Max. He says, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Paul is clear here, when it comes to evangelism, there is no silver bullet, there's no way to ensure 100% success. And actually, I heard David Williams, um, the Director of Training and Development for CMS, speak on this at the Church Missionary Society Summer School. We've mentioned that already, it was a few weeks back, a great conference. But David Williams made the interesting point about church growth in Acts. I ended up tracing it back to an article that he'd written. And the point was about who. So, So who in Acts is ultimately responsible for growing the church? Now, let me show you the quote... Um, this is what he wrote, he said, as we study the book of Acts, it's striking that when Luke records stories of growth, he always takes the same approach. He never says that the apostle grew the church. Growth is recorded in one of two ways. Sometimes Luke tells us that the Word of God increased and multiplied, or that the churches increased daily in numbers. And on other occasions, Luke uses the passive voice, they were added, or believers were added. Now, he's actually got a footnote there at this point, referencing Alastair McIntyre. Um, so, presumably, it's coming from him. But, but then William comments, he writes, Luke deliberately puts a degree of separation between church growth and human agency. The apostles, they proclaim, witness, strengthen, encourage. God grows His church. So, there's, there's no levers you can pull to to guarantee that people follow Jesus. But there is a God-given means of growth which we are to use, word and prayer and community. But even then, it's God who ultimately gives the growth or not. And at that point in history, God was very clear, wasn't He, that the, the gospel would see much fruit in the Gentiles, which it certainly did. The explosion in the number of Christians following the the book of Acts was nothing short of miraculous, right? Absolutely incredible. But God gives the growth. Okay, well, we've given this series the title, That They Might Know. Um, Really like that name for this series, but I also think it's a pretty good summary for the book as a whole. Because how does it end? Well, remembering the rejection that Paul has just experienced in Rome and remembering that he's a prisoner. He's actually under house arrest. He's awaiting trial. What does he do? 
Well, let's look at verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see what Paul does there? Even though times are tough, even though growth in terms of converts seems hard to come by, he he doesn't give up. He doesn't look for other means because he knows that God grows his church and he does it through word and prayer in community. And so he knows that whether someone does or does not come to know Jesus, at the end of the day, that, that is up to God. And so regardless of numbers, many of you, he doesn't give up, does he? Doesn't give up. It's a hard life. But why does he do it? Well, it's so that they might know Jesus. And so, friends, my encouragement to you today is to keep going. There are people out there who will turn to the Lord Jesus when they hear the good news. And so, keep going. Keep proclaiming Jesus. Keep serving Him and His people so that they might know. And again, I don't know who they might be for you. Maybe their family, maybe their colleagues, maybe you go rock climbing together. Maybe you've known them for years or actually maybe you haven't met them yet. But whoever they are, keep going, keep proclaiming Jesus, keep serving Him and His people so that they might know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the risen Lord Jesus continues to grow His church. We ask today that throughout 2024, that He would work powerfully through us, growing us as Christians, making us faithful and making us fruitful, bringing many to the Lord Jesus through us as we witness to Him. And of course, Father, we pray this ultimately for Your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.